switch hats here a little bit. I'm uh, wearing a lot of hats this morning, but that's, uh, that's okay uh, because they all fit just a little bit. So uh, we're going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 34 this morning. I would encourage you to turn there in your Bible. And while you're turning, I want to take a moment to dismiss our children and our leaders upstairs for Kids Crew. So this is going to be for our kids who are fourth grade and younger, along with a group of leaders. You know, uh, not too many minutes ago, we stood here and we made a commitment to be a church that offers the kinds of ministries that would, that would help equip these children to grow, to know Jesus and walk by faith with Him. And even what you see now is a visual representation of that fact. I'm grateful for everyone of our leaders who pour into the lives of our children, grateful for all that they do, the phenomenal leadership that we have in place, uh, Charlotte Allen over our children's ministry, Donna Osborne over our preschool ministry. They do a fantastic job, but they can't do it alone. It takes uh, a village. It takes a team of people. And so I'm grateful for every one of our leaders and their investment in the lives of these kids. And I also just want to say, just as a, oh, a commercial of sorts, a brief commercial, that we've got a lot of stuff for kids coming in the days and weeks ahead. Vacation Bible School will be in just a matter of weeks. We have camps and other things for children throughout the summer, and not just our children, but our teenagers, our young people as well. We, if you were to study our church calendar, if you were to study our church budget, you would say, you guys sure do devote a lot of time and a lot of resources to your youth, and we do. And let me tell you why that is. It's because we believe that a part of the role of a church is to train up and raise up the future of the church. And this is how we do that. Now, everyone matters. Everyone in this room matters to us. Everyone with, with a pulse and everyone with a breath matters to us. And so we have ministries for all ages. But we do unapologetically devote a lot of our resources, a lot of our people, a lot of our time toward our young people because our desire is to start them from the youngest age, equipping them to know the Lord and walk with the Lord and raising them up to be moms and dads and leaders in the church that God has called them to be. And I'm grateful that we have a church that, that, that believes that, that that is the heartbeat and the desire of First Baptist Church. And I just want to acknowledge publicly to all of those who are invested in all the ways that you are, both now and in all the years gone by, thank you. Thank you for your commitment to pouring into to our kids, to these kids, to my kids who have benefited along the way from your investment. We're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 this morning looking at the story of the boy king Josiah. Josiah is one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. Josiah was eight years old when he became the king over Judah. And, and so as a, as a boy, he was installed on the throne to reign over Judah, and he reigned 31 years as the king over Judah. We read in Second Chronicles 34 that Josiah was a godly king, a godly man who sought to do what was right, but he was swimming upstream. He was fighting an uphill battle because this all happens during a time in the life of the nation of Judah when there is great trouble brewing. There is all kinds of problems. The storms that are swirling about the nation are, are big and heavy and, and consequential. And, and so in the midst of all of this, 
God stirs Josiah's heart to lead the nation of Judah toward reform. Now, Josiah ruled from 640 until 609 B.C., And if you know anything about your Old Testament history, then you may recognize the fact that this is during the time when the northern tribes have already been conquered by the Assyrians. The northern tribes fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C., so roughly a hundred years before Josiah's reign, the nation, which was a divided nation, half of the nation, more than half of the nation really, the northern tribes of the nation of Israel fell into fell into slavery, bondage to the hands of the Assyrians. The Assyrians were a ruthless, a mighty army, the most dominant world power known at this point in history. But there's another nation on the horizon that is gaining strength. There's another nation that is rising up with a power that would eventually overthrow and usurp that of the Assyrians. And that's the the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. And so it's during this tumultuous period of time in world history when the the Babylonians are on the rise. They are an ascendant nation, and that is the backdrop against which Josiah comes to the throne. Not only that, Josiah comes to the throne in a time when his own father was a wicked king. Ammon, his father, was not a was not a godly man, was not a godly king, and so he did not do what was right. And and his father before him, Manasseh, was not a godly king. And so you have a, a series of wicked, ungodly kings who have led the Judeans away from the Lord, stirred their hearts, led their hearts away from what would be right and what would honor God, so far that a generation two generations perhaps removed from Hezekiah, who was another good king. You have a group of people that don't even know the word of the Lord. They don't even know what God says. When we think about that, there's a lot of overlaps. There's a lot of connections to our present day moment. Because when you study, when you study demographics or you study uh, just culture at large, our American culture in particular, there's a lot of being written, a lot that's being said in, in the culture at large today about things like the nuns, the rise of the nuns. And when I use that word nuns, I don't mean nuns like N-U-N, like the ladies that work for the Catholic Church, but I mean nuns as in N-O-N-E-S, nuns, people who have no, who claim no religious affiliation. They're known popularly as nuns, meaning that they they claim no affiliation with the church or faith or belief. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're atheistic. They can be agnostic, but they just, they don't, they don't, they don't hold to any kind of faith claims. They consider themselves perhaps in many cases to be a secularist. And so this is a really, this is a a popular thing that's gaining a lot of uh, ground when you study the demographics and, and uh, you study what people report to be their faith or their belief, that sort of thing today. And, and a lot has been written, and I'm not here to try to, to try to break all that down. You can go and you can read all of that. But the point that I want to make is nonetheless that we are a nation that stands on the precipice of moving in such a direction that we, that we totally turn our backs on God, that we forget God and we, and we would turn away. And, and, and there are so many in the church today trying to call us as a church, trying to call believers back to the Lord, that we would no longer settle for sort of a casual, comfortable, uh, surface-level Christian faith, but that we would be sold out that we would be men and women who are on fire for the Lord, who, who hold the line of what we believe in. We stand for what is right and true. And if I can do anything this morning, I want to echo that 
from the Word of God, this call to us that we would stand for what is right and good and true, that we would be a people who would honor the Lord and who would devote ourselves to Him fully, and that we would do all that we can to influence others around us in the same way. That was the heart of what we prayed over these families this morning, that they would have influence in the life of their children and in their home, but that influence would have a ripple effect, that it would, it would reverberate even beyond their family, reverberate even beyond the walls of their home into the lives of others around them. And that's really my prayer for every one of us in this room, not just those who are dedicating their children, but all of us, that we might honor the Lord and stand and do what is right and be an influence to be, as I'm just going to borrow Jesus' own words here, that we would be light that shines in the darkness, that we would be salt that, that preserves the things of God, what is good and right and true in this world. And Josiah sought to do that. Now, Josiah had to learn a lot of these things from just through life and, and, and hard knocks and doing some things the hard way because he didn't have a father to raise him in what was right. He didn't have a godly father to show him the way that was right. And yet, from a young age, we see that Josiah's desire was to do what was right. When you read in these early verses of Second Chronicles verse 34, you read some things like this, that Josiah was so intent upon trying to lead the people to be pure before God that he did things like he dug up the bones of, of these uh, priests of Baal, these, these pagan priests to these false gods, that he had their bones uh, exhumed, and then he had their bones ground to powder and sprinkled the powder of their bones, the ashes of their bones, over the altars to these pagan gods to defile and desecrate those, those kind of, that's, That sounds like somebody who's pretty serious, doesn't it? That sounds like somebody who means business. Josiah meant to do what was right, to honor the Lord, to stand for what was right, to do what was right. And he also led the people to restore the temple, which had fallen at this point into disrepair. And the reason the temple had fallen into disrepair is because the hearts of the people weren't set to honor and worship the Lord the way that they were instructed to. And so as they fell out of that habit, as they quit doing what was right, the temple fell into disrepair. As they were cleaning the temple, they discovered a copy of the law of God, which is what it's, the way it's described in Second Chronicles. And as they discover this copy of the law of God, they bring it to the king. They bring it to Josiah. And they read it to Josiah. And as he hears the word of God, he's heartbroken. He's struck to the core about what he hears. Think about this for a minute. Have you ever read a book that really changed your life in some way? Now, of course, you might say, well, the Bible changed my life. I hope that's true. I hope it did. But for a minute, I want you to think about another book. Has there ever been another book that you've read? that really caused you to see things in a different light. Maybe it was a nonfiction thing, maybe a work of history, or maybe it, was, maybe it was just something that was more instructional or informative. Perhaps it was even just a great story. The, the, a great story written by a great author, maybe had some, some, uh, some metaphorical type of, of, of meaning or, or uh, other types of things that really just stirred you. There's lots to be said about a great book, a great, a great story that can really move us, that can stir our hearts, that can open our eyes to see things. But what's different about the Word of God from every other book, from every other story, from every other thing that we might read, is that this book 
was literally breathed out. The Bible even says that's the language the Scripture uses. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is given to us by God. Peter writes that men of God, authors, were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and they wrote what the Lord had instructed. So unlike every other book, every, even the really good ones, the Bible speaks with an authority for our lives that comes from God Himself to instruct us, to guide us, to lead us. And not only that, for the believer, for the child of God, as we read the Bible, we also have the Holy Spirit of God in us that, that opens our eyes to see God's truth, that quickens our hearts to understand. And so as we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit reads us in a manner of speaking and speaks to us and convicts us of sin. There's power in the Word of God. There's power when we read His Word and we do what it said. Not power from us, but power from God Himself who uses His Word to lead us. And we see that in the story of Josiah. In fact, where I want us to begin reading in 2 Chronicles 34, 15 in a moment, we see how God speaks to Josiah through the Word. Let's read together. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 15. Then Hilkiah answered. Now this is someone, a, a, a priestess to whom they brought the, or a priest that they brought the, the, the book of the law to, for interpretation, for understanding. Hilkiah, rather, Hilkiah answered and said, to Shaphan the secretary. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord, and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported it to the king. All that was committed to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have given it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. That was instruction that Josiah had given them. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Now, the law that Josiah is hearing here would have been what we refer to as the, the Pentateuch, a part at least of the Pentateuch. And we don't know specifically which part, but I'm just going to use the, the book of Deuteronomy, for example, because the word Deuteronomy even means the second law. That's what that means. And so they find the law. They find a Pentateuch scroll or a portion of a Pentateuch scroll, and they begin to read from this. Now, how many of you, if I stood and read to you from the book of Deuteronomy, would say, yeah, I think that would really quicken me and convict me to my court. Maybe it would, right? But many of us, may, have you ever been guilty of doing a Bible reading plan and you get to Deuteronomy and you kind of just put it on cruise control because you're thinking all these names, all these stories, I got to get through this. I just got, Josiah didn't do that. When Josiah hears the word of God read aloud, it, it moves him, it stirs him at the level of his heart. Verse 20, the king commanded Hilkiah and Ahakim, Ahakam, rather, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asaiah, the, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. Now, the reason I sort of picked Deuteronomy is because you remember many weeks ago now as we were working our way through and we, and we read from and, and, and I preached from the book of Deuteronomy. Do you remember that I gave that a specific title, the message in particular that I preached from Deuteronomy? I gave it the title, Always Remember to Never Forget. Because essentially what, 
Moses is doing in giving the law to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy is he's calling them not to forget what God has instructed them to do. And he's, he's urging them that they would always remember to keep the word of the Lord at the forefront of their lives, at the forefront of their thoughts, at the forefront of their actions of what they do, that they would be obedient to God, obedient to his law by always remembering not to forget to do what the Lord had called them to do. And sadly, they've forgotten Sadly, they've, they've let their hearts go astray. Sadly, they have let their, their, their hearts and their, and their eyes and their minds wander so that this is the generation that do not honor the Lord, that do not do what He has called them to do. Josiah recognizes this, of course, and his answer is that, that there would be punishment, that God, they deserve the punishment from God because they have not kept the word of the Lord to do all that is written in this book. And in verse 22 we read that Hilkiah and those whom the king had sent went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, son of Hazrath, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. This is just some, some details, some information just to help us know it's a real person, this is real things. And spoke to her to that effect. And she said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord... Thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and have wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place and its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep His commandments and His testimonies and His statutes with all His heart and His soul to perform the words of the covenant that were made, rather that were written in the book. And then He made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve their, the Lord their God all his days, they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Josiah was so moved by the word of God that he, he instituted these great changes, these great reforms. He required of the people that they would be a people that would honor God. And he led them to do what was right. And because of that, God allowed him to see peace in his days. The Lord promised through this prophetess that he was going to visit destruction on Judah that was the, the consequence due their actions, due their sins. And yet God promised that Josiah would see peace because his heart was moved 
by the Word of God. I wonder, when was the last time your heart was moved by the Word of God? When was the last time you were so stirred by something you read in Scripture, so moved by the Word of God, that it shook you to your core, that it shook you to the point that you were willing to do whatever was necessary to make the changes that God was speaking to you? My hope this morning is that you would be challenged again to, to be a student of the Word of God, that you would study, that you would commit to do what the Word of God says because there's power in the Word of God. The same power that moved Josiah is the same power that speaks to us and can move us today. And so I want us to see in particular in this story of Josiah three things that I see, three ways that that God reveals Himself to us through His Word. And my, my prayer, my desire is that we would ask God to do this among us even today. First, we see that the Word of God reveals the will of God. The Word of God reveals the will of God. How is it that we're to know what God wants of us? How is it that we, how could Josiah and the, and the people of Judah, how could they know what God had instructed them to do? Well, the good news is God has shared that with us. He's given it to us. That's, what, that's the Bible. That's why we have the Bible. It's God's revelation to us that we would know God and that we would know the will of God, that we may live in obedience, that we may do His will. And so as we study the Word of God, we're not just looking for information. We're not reading the Bible for facts and details and information. The facts and the details and the information, they can and they do speak to us. But as we study the Word, we're looking for revelation. And we're asking God that He would stir us, that He would move us, that He would speak to us so that we might know plainly what God's will is. Have you ever been at a, at a moment in your life where you've asked a simple question, what does God want? What does God want of me? And what does God want for me to do in, in a particular situation? Well, I learned years ago through a, a really fantastic Bible study that I would commend to you called Experiencing God. Many in this room I know have, have done that Bible study before. I learned that there are, there are four ways really that God speaks to us but the primary of those means of God speaking is through His Word. So in experiencing God, we learn from author Henry Blackaby that God speaks through His Word, God speaks through prayer, God speaks through circumstances, and He speaks through other believers. But the primary, the main method God uses to speak to us is through His Word. You want to know what the will of God is? Read the Bible. In fact, let me encourage you even a little bit more. And I'm not going to give you all the answers here because I want you to have to do some looking. But in the New Testament, on multiple occasions, the authors of the New Testament actually say, for this is God's will for you. And then they go on to give us instruction of how we should live. You want to know what God's will is? Read the Bible. It's there. It's plainly given to us that we may know God's will. And so the Word of God reveals the will of God so that we would know. Now, I understand that, that in, some, in some way that may seem like it's a little bit of an oversimplification because it's not like, it's not like you're going to open the Bible to you know, the book of First Michael and you're going to read, Michael, you should do this and Michael, you should do that. Right? You're not going to open the Bible to the, the, book of, the book of Rayleigh and read, Rayleigh ought to do this or Rayleigh ought... Right? That's not what I mean. But yet in a very real way, God will speak to you personally. He will show you His will. 
And, and so sometimes it does require discernment. It does require prayer and reflection, and it requires even time and patience for us to process and, and wisdom and wise counsel from others. Yes, to all of those things, and yet God gives us that through the Scripture as we read. So many people say, well, I don't know what God would want. And, but then the simple question would just be, do you read the Bible? And sadly, many would have to say, well, no. Why would I do that? <laughs> because that's where God's going to speak to you. He's going to show up. He's going to meet you when you open and you study His Word. By the way, you may think, but I don't know, I don't know how to do that. I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. Uh, and, and I would just say simply, I, I respect that. I get that. But can I tell you that through my experiences and, and, a, and a lifetime really devoted to trying to study and know the Word of God, that the way that you learn how to read the Word of God is by reading the Word of God. My boys, when they were younger, they would get these video games, and they would, and, and, and when they first got a new video game, they wouldn't know what to do, and they wouldn't know what all the controls and all the things do and all of this, and, and, and so they wouldn't do very well at the game. But in a matter of no time, they were like pros. They were a whiz on that thing, and they could do all the things in the game, and I would sometimes sit down, and I'd be like, how do you know? And they're like, I just know. You just do it. You just, you just sit, and you spend time with it, and you play, and right? Well, in a lot of ways, reading the Bible is kind of like that. To be fair, everything we do is kind of like that, isn't it? Practice makes perfect. You want, to, you want to get better at reading the Word of God? Then commit yourself to read the Word of God. Carve out time in your life and your schedule to spend time in the Word of God. And I promise you, you will learn. You will learn to cherish the Word of God. You will, God will speak to you, and He will use that in your life. Commit yourself to it. Devote yourself to it. You do that with every other thing in your life. Make that commitment with the Word of God that you might know the will of God. Secondly, we see in this story, they, Josiah, of course, knew the will of God because they found and they read the Word of God. Secondly, we see that the Word of God reveals the weight of sin. Part of what Josiah understands as the Word is read is that they have sinned against God. They have turned their hearts. They have not done. And he goes so far as to make this statement that the great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the Word of the Lord. As they read the Word of God, they understood the weight of their sin. And God speaks to us that way. When we read the Word, it, the Word reveals to us the weight of our sin. He, he reads us, even as I've mentioned already. It's as though while we're reading the Bible, in reality, the Scripture is reading us. And it's showing us, and the Holy Spirit is using it to point to things in our life that need to change. It never fails that... When I sit down to read the Bible, I start to think about all the other things that are going on in, in my life, right? I mean, I never think about how I need to clean out the garage, and yet I sit down to read the Bible, and my mind wanders to, oh, I need to clean out the garage. I need to do this. I need to do, right? And so I've just learned to keep a, a notepad handy, and when I sit down to read the Bible, if those things pop in my mind, I write it down, and then I can come back to it later. Because even in that, even our sinfulness in that rears its head that in that moment, the enemy will do whatever he can to, kind of, to try to distract us so that our minds wander, so that our focus would shift because the enemy wants nothing more than to distract us from knowing God's will and understanding the weight of our sin because, because Satan wants to keep you in bondage to that sin. He wants to keep you enslaved to your sin and, and, 
and keep you chained up and bound in guilt and shame and all of those things. Oh, but if you would turn to the Word of God, if you would study and know, if you would commit your heart to know the Word of God and to do what it says, you will find freedom and life and peace. Josiah did. We can as well, because the Word of God reveals the weight of our sin. Not in a way that is meant to heap shame and guilt, but in a way that points us to the only real solution for our sin, which is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins so that you could be forgiven and set free. You will never on your own be able to lift the weight of sin. Praise God, you don't have to. Because when you come to Jesus in faith, He lifts that weight off of you. And if you're here today and there's never been a moment when you've trusted Jesus by faith, there's never been a moment when you've asked Him to come in your life to forgive you of your sins and you've turned from your sin and turned to Him as Savior, then I pray that today would be the day, even as we respond to God's Word in a few moments together, that you would make this the moment where you turn to Him in faith and you receive His free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus. And even in saying that, it really leads me right into the final thing we see here, is that the Word of God reveals the way of salvation. The Word of God reveals the will of God, it reveals the weight of sin, but it also reveals the way of salvation, because it's through the Bible, through the Scripture that we read, that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life, and that He willingly offered himself on the cross as payment for our sin. And on the third day, he was resurrected so that we might live in the freedom and the forgiveness that Jesus won with his victory over sin and death. We can have freedom. We can have forgiveness. We can find salvation because Jesus made a way for us. We can turn to him and we can walk in his way of salvation because God's word shows us the way. May we turn to Jesus by faith as we commit ourselves to study and do what His Word says. The will of God, the weight of sin, the way of salvation. Josiah is moved to his core to turn from his sin, to turn to God. I wonder today, would you be bold enough, brave enough to make a similar declaration that you would be willing to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus as Savior? Would you be willing to call on Him as Savior and Lord? In a moment, we're going to move into a time of response that we call the invitation. And the reason we call it an invitation is because we want to invite you to respond in this moment. And so even as we sing a song together, some of our staff, our pastors, will be here at the front. And they're here to pray with you and to encourage you and even to share with you the, the way of salvation through faith in Jesus today, if you're ready to surrender your heart and your life to Him. My prayer is that we would read the Word of God, that we would commit ourselves to do what it says, to live in obedience, that we might know the will of God, that we might turn from the weight of our sin, knowing that Jesus took that weight for us as we come to Him in faith, so that we can walk in the way of salvation through faith in Jesus. And if you're ready to give your heart and your life to Him today, then I would encourage you that you would make this the day of salvation. I invite you to bow your head with me and close your eyes. And the reason that I ask you to do that is so that in this moment, all of our attention, all of our focus would be, would be zeroed in on 
on what we might need to do, what you might need to do in response to what we've seen in God's Word this morning. How does God want you to respond in obedience this morning? Do you need to surrender your life to Jesus? Is there an area of sin that you need to confess? Do you need to commit to study His Word? However God is speaking to you today, I would encourage you that you would respond in obedience to Him during this time of invitation as we direct our devotion and our hearts toward Him. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and the desire of our hearts is to honor you in all things. Jesus, to lift you high, to do your will. We want to study your word that we might live in humble obedience to what it says, that we would know your will, that we would turn from our sin and turn to you for salvation. Jesus, move in us. Spirit, stir in our hearts. Prompt our obedience even now as we look to you. And all of this we pray in your name. Amen. So, church, I want to invite.